Hello and welcome to The Rufus Project, your fortnightly guide to whatever's grabbing our attention at the time. For now. Ooh, mystery. I'm your host, Trevor Holland, and you will also be hearing from my good friend, king of cult cinema in Brisbane and co-host, Christian Fletcher, very shortly. But what do we have in store for you on this podcast? Well, I get to explore aperture science in pinball form in the new Portal Pinball uh, table from Zen Pinball. Christian reviews Brandon Flowers' new album, The Desired Effect. We don our shades and our suits and talk about the very exciting upcoming Blues Brothers interactive screening at the Redcliffe Cultural Centre. And we'll even attempt to redeem the 2003 Ben Affleck superhero movie, Daredevil. Yes, redeeming features we've done back-to-back Affleck. Has it affected us? Wait and see. We'll also have the geek news highlights and a few upcoming events for you to know about. That's all for now, but let's just say that there is a pretty special major announcement coming up towards the end of the podcast, so... Keep on listening, and you'll find out. But for the time being, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. And now the news. The new-style news, where the news is brought to you with quick views for the news. The Australian Labour Party is expected to back calls for site-blocking legislation in Australian Parliament. Because why would the opposition party actually provide any opposition when it comes to contributions from movie companies? Great work, guys. Nice credibility. In more news related to piracy, iNet have offered free legal advice to any customers of theirs who get sent one of those nasty letters from the Dallas Buyers Clubs. They'll also be letting their customers know if they're the ones whose details are being passed over. There's lots of reasons I like iNet. This has just added to it. In a rather surprising development, Nintendo has teamed up with the Humble Indie Bundle and created the Humble Nindy Bundle, offering a quite impressive selection of games for 3DS and Wii consoles at a name-your-own-price to support charity. Just such a shame that it's actually region-locked to US only. Boo! And finally, I thought I'd bring something back from the old blog days and have a clever geek of the week. Fortnite. Current podcast. I'll, I'll work it out, okay? It's, it's new. Give me, give, give me a chance. But this podcast, our clever geek award has to go to the Prime Minister of Australia, Tony Abbott who, when facing questioning on whether or not it's a good idea to start teaching kids how to code, being that coding is actually going to be a very important skill going forward, Tony Abbott compared that to sending them to work at age 11. So you heard right, the Prime Minister of Australia has compared teaching kids the basics of coding to child labour. Wow, what a clever geek. And that's the news. Well, there's no secret that I'm a big fan of the Portal games. So when the Zen Pinball guys announced that Portal Pinball was coming our way, I basically started counting down. How could I possibly, possibly miss this? 
So once it was available, I grabbed it. I have gone the PlayStation route, but it's also available on the Xbox consoles, um, through Steam, it's on Android, it's on iOS, it's on Amazon, if you've got those Kindle devices. Basically, most of the Zen Pinball-compatible devices will have this on there. But what's it actually like to play? Well, it's actually quite a fun little pinball game. Uh, they have built a very imaginative creative table uh, with a number of challenges and even a hidden second pinball table underneath the top table. Of course, it's all digital, so there really weren't too many restraints, but they've managed to bring that portal flavour while still making it feel like a pinball. Uh, One of the great things about it is that Valve has let the Zen Pinball guys use the actual assets. So you've got Gladys's voice. Uh, You've got the actual models from the game. Shell's in there, Wheatley, uh, Atlas and Peabody... It's really, like I said, really wonderfully put together. Uh, there are a number of challenges. Uh, you need to work your way through various test chambers, meeting various targets, and it does have a battle involving neurotoxin. So look, if you're a fan of Portal and don't mind a bit of digital pinball, this is definitely one to check out. Even if you're not a fan of Portal, still check it out because it, it still is a very, very fun table. I will be hoping to get something up on the YouTube channel in the very near future with a bit of a playthrough and commentary to go with that. Uh, But in the meantime, I can highly recommend the Portal Pinball Table, available through Zen Pinball on pretty much everything. It's so much fun! Well, two weeks on since its release, it's time for me to, I suppose, make my feelings known about the new Brandon Flowers album, The Desired Effect. Quite a casual review here as we look at the 10 tracks that are presented before us. Uh, I recently said to a friend, the best way to look at Desired Effect would be to listen to the singles first, then go into the album. Unfortunately, if you listen to the album head first without having heard the songs, I find it gets sort of hard to, you get quite bogged down. I think you definitely need to hear the singles first. At first, I thought the songs that weren't released as singles were really just filler. But upon listening over the last week or so, quite frantically, I've managed to form some rather different opinions. Brandon Flowers, for those who don't know, is the front man of the Las Vegas alternative rock band, The Killers. Now, they're best known for their songs, Mr. Brightside, Somebody Told Me, When You Were Young, and many other hits. Now, Brandon went off and started a solo career in 2010. The Killers have continued, but however, whenever they are on a break... Brandon is always happy to jump back in the studio. He seems to be a man who is never short on a song. Flamingo from 2010, whilst a great album, it produced the the minor hit Crossfire and um, had some quite interesting choices of song on there. It was interesting, I said to a friend recently, ever since releasing the song Human and, and the album Day and Age in 2008, I think the killers managed to go a little bit softer and it's as a result they've never been able to get back to the sound of their first two albums. Uh, the first two albums spawning the hits that I mentioned earlier. 
So Flamingo was very much a, a soft effort for, for Flowers. It was a, a, still a great album. I felt, though, a lot of the tracks actually felt like they'd been compressed audio-wise, and the sound quality was just a bit muffled, and I, I don't know if he was going for more that 80s sound. I don't know. Brandon is a big fan of the 80s, so I don't know if it was intentional to make it sound like it was from a cassette, possibly. Um, but good to see Desired Effect has him back on top with a polished, well-sounding album. Okay, we're given the opening track, Dreams Come True. Uh, quite a repetitious chorus at the start when he says dreams come true, dreams come true over and over. However, it kicks in next with the um, punch the clock, baby on the nightstand. Yeah, I can't really do it justice. It does get quite catchy. And that's the good thing about Flowers. Most of his songs have these really interesting hooks. And at first you might not grab them, but then when you listen to them later, you can't get enough. And a lot of reviewers have said his songs are very anthemic. And you can easily see these being sung in a stadium with people waving their cigarette lighters in the air. This following track is Can't Deny My Love, which was the lead single from the album. Quite an epic song along the lines of When You Were Young, where it's, um, and even the video included extra scenes that were added and, and quite extended. Um, to give a bit of a backstory about um, the Nevada desert, and um, which features a lot in um, The Killers and Brandon's work. Can't Deny My Love definitely fits in with one of those previously mentioned anthem songs, and um, is easily seen... I can easily see why this was chosen as the lead single. Very catchy. And I like the fact that he's brought in sort of these gospel choir in the background. And they do feature on a couple of other songs as well. But interestingly, the girls also fit in, fill in for flowers in a couple of the parts and are wearing suits very similar to what he's wearing. So it also gives off this quite androgynous feel, which I, I think he's also going for, possibly as a bit of a, a, a Bowie tribute. I Can Change has been the most recent single from the album and he performed it on the Graham Norton show and it really just blew me away. At first I'd sort of seen, written that off as oh, it's just the fourth single but it's catchy as hell. Give it time. But um, it definitely um, has all the ooh and a lot of Bronsky beat references. Um, there again, you know, that synth pop 80s sound that Brandon loves so much. Still Want You to me would have to be the highlight of the album. It's as catchy as hell. It should be a big hit. The film clip is adorable. Again, utilising that androgynous sort of look and um, I definitely keep rooting for this song as being a chart topper and it's a, you know a, the highlight of the album for me Between Me and You is, is sort of bringing it back down to a sort of more of a ballad sort of a sound catchy enough you know it, it gets me um, it, it's still memorable enough for me to be humming it afterwards and that's the thing about his songs at first you don't think this but then you find yourself singing it a couple of hours later Lonely Town is Brandon's sort of modern take on Every Breath You Take, the, um, the the police stalker song from the 80s. Now, the film clip definitely enhances this with a girl dancing around listening to her Walkman, and the final scenes show that she's actually being watched from a stalker outside. Quite eerie stuff. If You've got to listen to the lyrics properly to sort of get this, but I still think it can be um, not really um, construed as meaning that. But Lonely Town is definitely catchy enough, you know, spinning on the Gravitron when I was just a kid. Uh... Anyway, <laughs> I'll leave it to Brandon to fill in the gaps. Digging Up the Heart is very reminiscent of, was it something you said from the 2010 album Flamingo? Sort of going back to more that sort of, I don't know, almost country-esque sound. And I think he's, um, and he, he sort of does that well, you know, he did a song called um, Jacksonville and, and the clock that... I can't stop ticking. And he has sort of covered um, Kenny Rogers in, in concert and um, in the Abbey Road sessions before. So it is interesting to um, to hear him do a similar sort of take with his own song. 
Never Get You Right is very similar to Between Me and You, probably one of the weaker songs on the album. And, um, yeah, I haven't really listened to it too much, but when I hear it, I, I go, oh, yeah, I remember this. Moving on. Untangled Love brings it back up a pace, but, you know, I, I feel that these last three songs have kind of, I don't know, it sort of petered out. If you'd sort of evenly spaced, you know, the songs that became the singles, I think it would have um, managed to sort of, you know work a lot better but I suppose he's just winding us down and Untangled Love is catchy enough and the chorus is great and it's one of those you know um, sing-along songs the way it's always been I sort of have written that off as being the worst song of the album and I think because it's the last one I've sort of probably lost interest by the time that song comes on or something along those lines I did give it a listen before and it, it works and it's a good album closer overall the desired effect is a much better album than flamingo i still love flamingo but i adore the desired effect once you get past the fact that some of the songs feel a bit like filler there's a great album there if you don't want to go in head first i do recommend as i said earlier to start with the singles and work your way in from there so the desired effect by brandon flowers i give it four out of five Welcome to the Redeeming Features, where Christian and I have done the stunt work of going back-to-back Ben Affleck, if you remember last time, and our look at um, Geely, it rhymes with really, that sticks in my head, uh, we decided to then move on to another one that we hope would be a bit better. So from Geely, which was frankly freaking awful, We've moved on to Daredevil, also released in 2003. Uh, of course, Christian is here with me. Christian, how are you? Thank you, Trevor. And, and how, how about yourself? You've survived, obviously, Daredevil, whilst you're speaking here tonight. So <laughs> it obviously wasn't too bad of an experience for you. <laughs> I got through it. I mean, I suppose it is safe to say it's better than Geely, but that's not oh. very difficult. Exactly. Look, when you first suggested this, I pretty much felt like saying, you know, in, in uh, you know, like saying Geely. I was going to say, really, Trevor, when you suggested this, two Ben Afflecks in a row, I didn't think it would happen, but I, um, I was actually more surprised, actually impressed, I don't even want to use the word impressed, no. I, I found this to be better than what I was expecting. That's probably the base of what I'll say, you know, to, to, to intro our, our conversation. But um, that said, I'm, I'm coming in completely not knowing much about superhero movies or Marvel or anything like that. So from a regular sort of outside viewer, it's to me was a, you know, it, it exists. It, it's a bit of a mess sort of movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would really like to hear a bit of a bit of a background into it too, because I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, possibly a lot of people have seen different films. Now, I did suggest to you, Trevor, when we first watched it about watching the director's cut, because that's the, the version that came out subsequently. I have found out, however, that the people, a lot of people have said the theatrical cut was terrible and it was improved in the director's cut. So it would be interesting to compare. I do not wish to go back and watch the other cut <laughs> to see what it's like. But um, we were given pretty much, I suppose, every scene intact. And I don't know whether the two hours and 13 minutes was really warranted, you know, getting that 30-minute extension. So, anyway, enough of me. Daredevil. 
Daredevil, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if the theatrical cut is worse than the director's cut, I definitely don't want to go there. <laughs> but let's just go on. Uh, I mean, Daredevil has been in the entertainment headlines rather uh, a bit lately. Uh, the Netflix Daredevil series has been receiving rave reviews and getting, like, rock-solid critical acclaim, which was another reason that I felt that uh, visiting... This 2003 director's cut epic was uh, was justified. I suppose just to give you a bit of a rundown on it, it's uh, rated 5.3 on IMDb out of 10. Yeah, that's pretty high for a redeeming features movie, first up. Um, of course, much of the commentary is, oh, watch the director's cut, don't watch the original, So, but we can't really comment much further on that. Uh, having looked through it though, and I'm I'm not particularly surprised, it uh, actually had a budget of seventy eight million dollars. Uh, it took a grand total of about half a million when it opened in the US. Oh my gosh, that's got to have hurt. What what company released it? I think it might have been Sony, wasn't it? Oh, oh no, sorry, 20th Century Fox. Oh, and knowing my history of Fox, they've had some shockers. So this would have just added to that. <laughs> Added to their list of many many films over the years that were, were quite ended up quite the fate of um of Daredevil, but uh, yeah, two thousand and three wasn't a good year for Ben Affleck, was it? In in respect to this, so but um but Daredevil, it's um yeah, it was interesting to see how it all sort of came about and and what made them decide to originally start, you know, why that happened at that particular time. I do believe I read somewhere that since nineteen ninety four or something like that, they'd been um there'd been talks about bringing Daredevil to the to the big screen and. I bet they're regretting that decision now. Yeah, well, when you think about it, I mean, there was some success with the Batman movies leading up to it, um, the the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man uh, movies had started and were doing quite well. So they obviously were looking for another hero uh, to bring to the big screen and give it its own flavour. Now, when you look at Daredevil as a character originally... Um, in the original comic, Daredevil is blinded when he saves an old man from being hit by a truck, where the truck then spills toxic chemicals, which gets in his eyes. Uh, I think one of the reasons that uh, that fans of the original comic book don't like this movie is because they completely ignore that origin, which you know gives them quite a heroic start with regards to his sacrifice with his eyesight, and basically he's just running around, running away because he sees his father beating up another guy. Ooh, nice and heroic and, and epic start there <laughs> in the movie, oh, but uh, might be getting a, ahead of myself there. Um, there's probably not a lot more to say. He's a hero. He fights crime. It is a lot darker than your usual superhero fare, which... Yeah does give it a, I suppose, a bit of interest from that, that perspective. Uh, but yeah, in, in the actual delivery, mm. Yeah, coming in, as I said, not knowing much about superhero movies, it did sort of have that, yeah, that dark feeling, you know, from what I know from like the Batman films, like you mentioned, of the, of the, the, the late nineties, I suppose. But and a lot of my, a bit of my research came down. A lot of people were calling it actually the poor man, Spider-Man. So I don't know. I think it was definitely the darker version of Spider-Man, but as a character too, a lot of fans were describing how, um, they are very similar, but Daredevil. I, I don't know. I, I can't. You know, obviously, his. Um, I think they mentioned that his super 
power was pretty much the fact that they can't see being able to use that to his advantage. But yeah, he does feel very similar to Spider-Man. And I always almost found it really strange that Daredevil even exists in the first place because it was such a similar character. But that might have just been me. When you, when you look at superheroes across the board, there are a lot of similarities even between the two main competing uh, comic book companies being Marvel and DC. Uh, but certainly, yeah, with his acrobatics, with his his uh, senses that go beyond sight, um, you know, his daredevil senses tingling rather than his spidey sense. I mean, there is definitely a few similarities there, particularly, I think, in the way this movie uh, does portray him. Uh, but before we get into, I suppose, our view of the movie, I, th- I think what I'll do is just start with a, a review I found on that wonderful site, Amazon. And I picked this one mainly because of its title, but it does get into it a bit. So this uh, review uh, by one Michael D uh, has a title, Worse Than Geely. <laughs> well, I, I already think that's a, a wrong title. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, Ben Affleck, no more movies for you. This movie was horrendous. No, I'm not a fan of the comics, and wouldn't want to be after realising this is such a dull superhero. Ben Affleck is terrible, as always. Jennifer Garner, who only looks like she does on the cover after she gets mad, fights a bunch of sandbags that miraculously fall from her ceiling, and goes out and almost instantly gets killed by Bullseye. So I heard she's not really dead, I just hope there's not a sequel so I can find out. The effects were so awful, does anyone realise that CG effects are almost never well done, except in O-O-T-R and anything that Spielberg uses them in? And the character of Daredevil? So when you're blind, you can jump real high. Yeah, don't waste your money. Well, he pinpointed a lot of points that I, yeah, so just throughout the movie. So, yeah, I can relate to a lot. I, I still think Geely was worse. But, you know, hey, we can't always be exact with our <laughs> with our reviews of a film. But um, I'm going back to, uh, that's kind of um, made me think of, of Jennifer Garner, Look, not knowing much about her as an actress in, in many of her films that she's in, but she was quite plain in this film, and it felt like Electra could have gone so much further as a character, and um, I believe she did have a spit-off movie a couple of years later, I think, so mm-hmm. I thought that the character would have had more, I don't know, would have made more impact, it just felt like it kind of got into, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it got into sort of the second half when they were almost trying to give it a love interest side, you know, trying to... Kind of um, Ben Affleck up with Jennifer Garner, or you know, or sorry, what was his name? Matt Matt Matlock or Whitlock, Matt, whatever it is. <laughs> Matt Murdock. <laughs> yeah, Murdock. That's it. Trying to match him up with um <clears throat> with Electra, and um, it's it felt like as soon as they brought in this kind of romantic element, and they were like they're trying to push this, and I I don't know if this was big in the in the comics, but it just felt like as soon as they were bringing that down, it was just like oh, we've gone to Hollywood cliche, you know. But admittedly, you know, much as he said, you know, the special effects weren't the best. There were some scenes where there were shots of the, you know, of the town where it looked quite well done, but it worked very much in the sort of a Sin City type way where it would have only existed in that world. But there were a lot of quite jarring jump cuts and stuff like that too. But I can see where the $75 million went, but I still think they could have got a lot more <laughs> for that money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm considering, I think the first shot you see after the opening credits, which I assume that the way they were doing the lights, it was meant to be Braille. I mean, I'm, I'm not 100% too sure. This was after the initial excitement of seeing the Marvel Studios logo. I always get a buzz when I see that, since I'm <laughs> quite a fan of Marvel movies in more recent times. <laughs> um, but then, when it, when it, yeah, 
when it cuts in and zooms down to street level, the first thing you get is a CGI rat. And it's so okay. obviously CGI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. And I, I think I read somewhere that it was supposed to be, because Hell's Kitchen, the um, the district is supposed to be set in, I believe, I'm not, I, don't quote me, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in America that's not LA, but they ended up filming in LA or something. So a lot of times they were trying to capture a lot of the feel and it just really felt flat. So I think it was almost like the, the CGI, just never, a lot of the backdrops that were shown didn't really essentially match they eventually zoom into so maybe you know if if i was to ever watch it again which i won't i would probably notice these more and more now that you've said this <laughs> yeah well, especially the rat <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's set in what's meant to be i suppose a grittier part of new york mm. and um and i felt that not no as i said earlier not knowing much about the superhero movie I, I felt though it did give the the obligatory you know flashback and how it all came about but I was thinking after I watched this, I don't know if this was a backstory that was added in into the director's cut. Perhaps there wasn't so much detail given into the original theatrical cut with um, the backstory, but I felt that it it helped a little bit. I was just a bit confused, and I may have missed this. You might be able to clear this up for me, but I, we didn't really see the birth of the Daredevil suit. To me, it sort of went from him turned, becoming Daredevil, but you know the whole donning of the suit and where that kind of side came from didn't really. I don't know. I've got to be question mark here on my notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that, that... just so next thing he's jumping on buildings and he's dressed in Daredevil. You didn't see the whole. You didn't see the the transformation. Possibly, I don't know the word. <laughs> yeah, the the focus pretty much on on how he became blind and just a little bit afterwards, which as I said earlier completely deviated for the comics, which would have alienated every solid Daredevil fan who went to see that movie when it first came out. Uh, but I love the trope, though, but the flashback happens because he's, he, you know, he is apparently clinging to life uh, after falling from a roof. So, you know, nice cliches right from the outset. Yeah. But it, it felt very, you know, yeah, the obligatory flashbacks, I thought that had to be there. And then I had to laugh about, you know, not that I know it's too much cringeworthy dialogue as such, but the one part where the bullies say to the, to the um, to young Matt, um, you know, I dare you, and you go, oh, okay, they had to work out some way that he, where he got his name from. <laughs> I don't know. Some, they had to give some kind of a connection. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, actually, that they had to make a reference to that, so... But um, but I actually um, I was actually thinking while I was, whilst watching, and I was working in the, the a DVD section at a um a store back when this came out, and I remember there was such a huge fanfare for it with you know the amount of all these big posters and stuff, and it was really heralded as this big superhero movie. So, but but in hindsight, it it's, um it did come out sort of a few years after sort of the um. Is it the Joel Schumacher um, Batmans? I think that he was the director for, towards the last, you know, the terrible Batman and Robins and all those last ones. But it was sort of, it sort of came a few years after that. Sort of, sort of, sort of, you know. But, but you know, it seemed to have come out around the time of X Men and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if Daredevil made a lot of studios go, oh gosh, we better release some more to make people forget about this. But I do remember there being quite a huge fanfare, huge posters everywhere for it when it was released on DVD as well. So I, um, I can imagine that fans that were expecting something. Um, would have been quite disappointed. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and certainly, uh, I mean, right from the start, he's not all that heroic, given that, you know, the first person he tracks down, he basically lets get run over by a train. Uh, I mean, it's kind of refreshing in a superhero movie to let a, have a hero that actually lets people die, but doesn't really help the whole uh, building the hero persona. 
Oh, definitely. And and some of the lines or some of the way he, he speaks with people, it comes off comes across the kind of a jerk too. And it kind of makes yeah. it, it it's very unsympathetic, you know. And um, it's really funny. Um, I'm sorry to keep harping back on on things I've read, but you know, I, I remember reading someone say, "Yeah, Daredevil pretty much fell in love with Elektra or Jennifer Garner's character." <laughs> Just from smelling her, pretty much. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's like he must have a habit of going to cafes and the first girl that he smells nice. I must ask her out on a date. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was quite strange. But, yeah. um, that, that, oh, God, even that. I mean, it kind of got a bit creepy and, and stalkerish, just the way he, he followed her and tracked her down and was smelling her. It was like, seriously, dude, that's just not cool. Oh, definitely. And it was almost like, following on from him having been in Geely, he's, it's almost like he's going, I can't remember the character's name, Justin someone, um, going, um, oh, I can play I can play a, um, I can play someone disabled, you know, as well as that other guy. And it's kind of, I don't know, he's, he's trying for the Oscar. I get that feeling with whatever he's trying to do. He's trying a bit too hard, especially in those scenes when he's, oh, those, those courtroom scenes, which sort of became quite um, common towards the um, second half of the film. But um, scenes like that, and then, you know, and the scenes where they actually take his glasses off, and you know, he's doing the whole, you know, like he's, you know, he's doing his best to act a, a blind man, but it's, sometimes it's like, oh, you're just really trying so much to get an Oscar nomination, and you won't get one. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's really, uh, I suppose, oh god, performance-wise, I mean, um, Ben Affleck again. Yeah, I, it was just a stage he was going through at the time because there was just no way I could like this guy. Uh, in this movie, uh, and the supporting cast doesn't really help too much either. Apparently, this was the first time that Colin Farrell, playing the bad guy Bullseye, who had a massive bullseye on his head, so he'd be very hard to identify in a lineup. Uh, it was like the first time he used his natural accent in a movie, and to me, it just came across like he was. It was just going, going full on for scenery chewing, but then pulling oh, back at just the last minute. It, it kind of. You kind of wished he would fully commit because, yeah, it just something about his portrayal as bullseye just wasn't quite there. Oh, yeah, no, that's, you, you summed it up with chewing scenery. You know, as soon as he turned up, it was almost like he was. It's almost like he had a sort of a cameo-ish sort of part where he's gone. I'm just going. <laughs> I am just going to take this to 110 percent. And um, and yeah, but I do not get what you mean. It's almost like he, he went too far with the character to start with. That he just could sort of sustain the zaniness of it that he just sort of then pulled back towards the end. And, um, yeah, I didn't really think they gave him too much to do, really. But, you know, in my you know in my research, apparently they said to, you know, apparently Colin's um, interpretation was very close to the original character, but mm, I don't know. And, and that was the reason for um, picking the Irish accent as well, too, because apparently that fits with the character. But, you know, I still think he's just used that as a chance. Oh, I'm in a superhero movie. I'm going <laughs> to play this to the hilt. Oh, God. I mean, it's probably... Oh, there's so much I could nitpick about this one, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Just... But, but, you know, admittedly, as I said, I was expecting to be able to nitpick a heaps more. Having come off, you know, Geely, you know, a couple of weeks prior, I um, was expecting this to be sort of up there. But I, I was sort of found it to be just a... To me, you know, a run of the mill, you know, a come and they go superhero sort of movie. It just, it wasn't necessarily overly impressive, but it wasn't bad. So I think it kind of makes the whole redeeming features thing for me quite an interesting and quite a hard choice this time around. So, but um, yeah, it makes it a bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, well, just trying to think about. Um, I mean, if, if we're talking, uh, I suppose, performance-wise, I mean, Jennifer Garner as Electra. Eh, whatever. Uh, um, 
I think yeah, Michael Clark Duncan did give quite a good go at being the bad guy, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. Uh, he probably, uh, I think, showed the the strongest role, I guess, within within this movie. Uh, I know that he's actually generally lauded for his role as Wilson Fisk, but again, the comic book uh, Puritans will not like the fact that he is a gentleman of colour rather than a big white dude. So, uh, but I, I still, I, I did like him as um, as Wilson Fisk, uh, even though when like uh, Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk finally. Uh, face off, it did highlight one of the things which happens quite a bit in, in the movie. And going back to that use of CGI, I, I found a lot of the fight scenes, because so much of the fight scenes, given the stuff that they were trying to pull off and the scope and the action they were trying to show, is just this blend of CGI and live action. And suddenly you go from Ben Affleck throwing a few punches to suddenly um, a computer model of Ben Affleck doing backflips and spinning around through the air. Yeah, and it's, it's very jarring. It, take, it, yeah, it takes any sense of urgency or excitement out of those fight scenes. And, and when you've got a character like Daredevil, they, it really has to hang on those fight scenes. So that probably was one of the main issues here is, is the fact that, that they couldn't carry those fight scenes off uh, convincingly. Well, speaking... Speaking of the fight scenes, I thought it was amusing that the fight scene between him and Bullseye, I think, was in the church, and um, and pretty much if you look at it closely, there's not too much of them actually sort of, you know, like physical sort of thing. It's pretty much just them put ramming as many objects into each other as they possibly can find. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seemed that as a result, it became like the other scenes very frantic, and yeah, almost it's sort of... You know, because those fight, you know, fight scenes can be quite stylish and look, you know, and, and when done properly, look, can look amazing. You know, you don't need to have you know, a stack load of um, effects in there to try and make it look, you know, extra impressive. But as you said, you wonder, are we only seeing 50% of Ben Affleck throughout the entire film? It does make you wonder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to see good Daredevil fight scenes again, go back to the Netflix series. Oh, my goodness, that's so good. <laughs> so it sounds like they've definitely improved on the, um, the brand, I suppose. <laughs> they draw- have there talks with the recent Netflix series of making a, not remaking the film, but making an actual Daredevil movie? Uh, no, but they have announced a season two of the Netflix oh, series. Oh, okay. So. And from the sounds of it, that'd probably be best to stay away from the big screen adaptation of it just at this moment. Yeah. The other one's still a bit of a sore spot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the other hang-up I've got with this, again, as as the previous Ben Affleck movie we talked about with his then-partner of, uh, of J-Lo, there's just no chemistry between Ben Affleck and, and Jennifer Garner in this movie. I... I didn't really get anything from this, but I think he was going through a interesting time at the at when this was being made because apparently he kind of made this movie after breaking up with J Lo, which would happen very soon after finishing the filming of Geely, and actually hooked up with Jennifer Garner after this movie. Ah, but is that interesting, Trevor? Because technically he's then continuing the Banner fame. Which is even more strange when you think about it, but um, but yeah, he um, but then I was looking at him, you know, in the scenes when he's not in the suit, and um, and in comparison to Geely, and he actually looks like he's, yeah, it, it was hard to imagine it being in the same sort of period, but yeah, it did look like he would have, you know, thinking about it, there would have been a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, and he did look quite tired actually, so <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah, interesting that um, that this was all happening around the same time. Yeah, 
Yep, he was uh, suffering from uh, <laughs> from end of relationship blues. Yeah, too, too many Janets in his life, I think, at the time. <laughs> 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 but um, but yeah, well, um, so um, Daredevil. Well, I've, I've sort of um, I've, I've sort of said everything I can think of to um to comment on the film at this stage. So, mm. but you know, more and more. Found to be better than what I was expecting, but still, um, not much more. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a few more things that I might say that for mm. the the wrap up, but um, but really, I mean, I picked this one, so I suppose Christian, I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, do you do you have any redeeming features? Okay, look, redeem. Look, I really should have thought about this a bit more. I know it does; it is redeemable, but its features itself, I will need to think about properly. <laughs> but, um, but definitely, look, you know, from someone coming in, as I said, you know, not knowing anything, you know, imagine me just being a general mainstream audience member that doesn't know anything about superhero horror movies, and it would be true. <laughs> and, um, and, um, you know, I found that it, it sort of fitted a lot with the, the sort of grittiness and the griminess of sort of the um, the Batman films of the of the late nineties or, or the nineties in general. And um, more of a sort of, it was the last sort of superhero movie before they became so, you know, we've been speaking a lot about CGI, but it was the last superhero movie sort of before it became so CGI. And nowadays you watch a lot of them and it's just, you know, CGI is quite prevalent. Whereas this was kind of on the cusp where there was still, you know, there was, there were, there was the new technologies and stuff. So you're still seeing a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of um, what I feel like a real 90s feel of it. So Redeemer, look, I found I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I got through it. I would have preferred if I'd watched the theatrical cut because it was shorter <laughs> and I would have been able to save half an hour of my life. But look, you know, it, it, I would never go back to see it again. Um, uh, I'm glad I've seen it, got it out of my system because I was always quite intrigued by it. And I think the thing that always intrigued me the most about it was having seen the posters. You were all, it was like one of, it was almost like a cult movie that you've, you've seen this poster and you've gone, things about it, I'm just dying to see it. And honestly, I should have just left it with the poster because really the film itself doesn't live up anywhere near it. And, and I feel that, any sort of um, any sort of character development they're trying to have between Jennifer Garner and um, Ben Affleck just falls flat. And the moment, really, the moment they bring in kind of a love interest or trying to try to make it, um, you know, um, you know that kind of stuff, it, it loses a lot. God, I'm not I'm not really redeeming at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, okay, if you want to see, you know, it's. Yeah, if you're into if you're curious about superhero movies, I definitely recommend it in that respect. It's not as bad as the reviews say, honestly, I, I think. But you know, um, you know, following on from Gili, I wouldn't say this was much much better. So, um, but yeah, I'd probably choose your time watching possibly another film. But if you're interested, give it a go. But don't expect heaps. <laughs> Okay, so it's a just redeemable from you by yeah, the sound of things. I went off on a bit of a tangent there, Trevor. I was trying to redeem it and ended up sort of irredeeming it. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think it's very much coming at it with quite puzzlement because you know I, I'm not knowing anything about the sort of background of it or anything like that, and I feel like I was punished headfirst into what is should I know the backstory? Should I know you know who these characters are and everything like that? So I think in that respect, it became quite a frantic mess for me. But you know, it's passable watchable. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, what I found, the most interest I found in this movie was actually reading about it afterwards. Uh, I mean, through it, there are a few cameos by people who have been involved in the writing of Daredevil. Kevin Smith turns up in it. Um, Joe Casada, who's actually now the head of the uh, the team that, that plans out the Marvel movies. Or interconnecting, he's, he's been with Marvel for quite some time. He plays the initial guy who gets killed by Daredevil. If you're into, say, the late 
90s, early noughties hard pop, because they try very hard to bring in the cool music as they play through, you're probably going to get a kick out of the soundtrack. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, first up, there is a butchering of the source material, and seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm enough of a geek to let that bug me. Uh, there is, again, yet no chemistry between the leads, which makes it even more surprising to me that they got together afterwards. Uh, mm. and, and as I said before, there was so much CGI in those action scenes that uh, any sense of actual action or suspense just went out the window. Um, there was a whole uh, using rain to see things, which uh, kind of paid off in the final fight scene, but they used it twice in the movie for no particular reason for the second time. It just seemed rather uh, pointless. And uh, seriously, I've got a big list of things I saw in the movie that I just went, what, really? In, in front of me, I won't go through them there. Uh, on the whole, I really found it to be kind of meh it was average it was straddling that average line uh christian it sounds like for you it came in just enough above average to be redeemable me it's come in below the line frankly i really by the end of it was bored out of my skull and for that i I can't redeem it Mm, oh yeah well trevor it was very it was too long i felt and i but i think that you've given me i've got to remember it now i think you've given me the quote to go with it was straddling the line of average and i think that's that to me (laughs) is actually probably how i would sum it up too i don't i don't want you guys to think that i'm I'm redeeming it more than I should be because I st- it is literally straddling the line <laughs> of average and unwatchable. So I think I'm just a little bit above you, Trevor, with it on that on that um, scale. But um, but yeah, I um I do still 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 find it redeemable somewhat. But um, yeah, we've watched stacks of other movies that are worse than this. That's definitely. very very true. <laughs> and I will be interested to see what other disasters were um were handed or made to um made to watch over the next few months. Oh, there's so many of them. But before we move move on to that and <laughs> and uh, what will be a very important announcement, which we'll touch on now, but I will talk fully later. You know what? There are people out there who are fans of this movie, and. Uh, to follow on from our early review from Amazon, I've got another one here by Zach H. Obviously, it's a night for uh, initials. Uh, <laughs> simply titled Daredevil. And he says, Okay, I'll admit the only reason I went to see this was Jennifer Garner. Isn't she great? Anyway, I'm glad to report that, unlike what most critics say, it's not a cartoony version, but a dark story-driven movie a la The Crow. The way Daredevil's radar sense is portrayed is quite genius, and Colin Farrell is superb as Bullseye, even though I don't care much for Colin. He uses a mixture of insanity and pride to bring him to life, and the use of John Favreau and as Foggy Nelson brings just the right amount of humour to it. It's not funny at all. The director's cut improves over the theatrical version in so many ways that I recommend it to those who have never seen this movie. Now, I'm sure someone will ask, is the director's cut that good? And the answer is that it's like a completely different movie. The theatrical cut is 103 minutes, the director's cut is 133 minutes. Uh, that half hour of extra footage makes a huge difference. Just rent it, trust me, it's good. The relationship with Elektra isn't as big, and there's much more focus on Daredevil, the Kingpin, and the world they exist in. 
The director's cut was 20 times better than the theatrical version. It had a whole subplot that really wove together the entire story. Plus there is a cool scene in the first part of the movie with the bar fight scene where Daredevil walks across these burning pool tables and crouches down to look at the bad guy. It's time to give the devil his due. Awesome! Had this been released in the theatres, it would have blown everything away. Too bad the producers punked out. Five stars! <laughs> oh my god. And the fact that the theatrical cut centres more on their love relationship? Oh god, Trevor, I'm glad we didn't watch that version. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh. very, very, very happy we avoided that because... Yeah, yeah. At, least we, at least lots of subplots, but at least it kind of evened them out, so it kind of, you weren't stuck on one, <laughs> one long particular time. But hey, I suppose there's got to be fans for everything out there, so so thank you, Zach H. <laughs> I'm sure we might hear from you again, um, 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 celebrating the movies that we um, don't redeem. <laughs> hmm. Who knows? <laughs> well, well, let's just say, let's, let's just move on from that, the straddling average movie of, of Daredevil. And like I said, I will go into this a bit later on, but uh, what you're listening to right now is the last of the redeeming features in its current style. We're actually going to branch off and redeeming features is going to be its own podcast! Woo! And to celebrate the launch of the standalone uh, redeeming features podcast and to tie in to the very exciting upcoming blues brothers screening with interactive floor show featuring christian and myself we're going to start with one of christian's favorite uh, styles of movie the sequel uh christian did you want to have a mention as to what we're going to watch for that well, um, well, Trevor, I thought, well, at, well, I think we can probably put two and two together when you're mentioning Blues Brothers. How about the uh, Blues Brothers 2000, which I believe came out in 2000? So it's time that we um, both visited that. I have seen it many years ago and um, had forgotten it. I don't know if that was a reason for that. <laughs> so I think with um, the Blues Brothers screening coming up, I think it's um, a good one to, um, to choose as our next one. What do you think, Trev? Yeah, uh, well, look, I mean, well, let's be honest, we kind of did discuss this earlier, which is all good, and uh, it actually came out in 1998, which already gives me a question mark over this, this movie. I've always been scared to watch it. I'm such a big fan of the original Blues Brothers, but you know what? There comes a time where I've got to bite the bullet and check out the sequel, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it while being highly concerned at the same time. Yeah, and look, I think, you know, as you mentioned, the sequels are, you know, I'm quite, I feel sorry for sequels, you know, they have an innocent quality about them, and, and, and I think the worst thing, and I think also, I mean, sorry, not the worst thing, but I know I've said about this with remakes as well, and you could probably think about it with a sequel, it just makes you appreciate the original so much more, so Trevor, as you're watching it, and if you don't like it, just think to yourself, ah, the 1980 movie is amazing. <laughs> so it'll just make you appreciate. Hey, I might be putting it down without um, having given a second viewing, so or a more recent viewing. So let's see what Blues Brothers two thousand from or Blues Brothers ninety eight is like. <laughs> I was I don't know I don't know, was I just being stupid. I was I always just assumed it came out in two thousand with a title like that. How wrong I must have been. <laughs> it's a safe assumption. It really is. Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows? Who knows? It may actually be enjoyable and redeemable. We never know. You might see us start doing an interactive floor show to the sequel. Oh, God, I think we'd do other movies before we did that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do want an audience, don't we? 
Yeah, exactly. But I'm really looking forward to the, um, in, you know, the Blues Brothers screening on the um, 19th of June at Redcliffe Cultural Centre. That's going to be a lot of fun too. Absolutely. And uh, so, uh, like we said, we you, you are going to have a bit more time to watch this one, by the way, uh, with regards to, well, I'll go into that more a bit later on. Uh, but if you want to know more about the interactive screening, well, just keep listening. We might be uh, chatting a bit about that very soon. Well, until then, though, Christian, thank you very much. Forever and happy viewing. <laughs> Police suspect the vigilante Daredevil was the one to bring the criminals to justice. I don't know why you read that trash. Do you want the truth? Tell me. She's hideous. Excuse me. I just wanted to get your name. Does every guy have to go through all this to find out your name? You should try asking for my number. I'm happy to say that uh, we may have been a bit shy on the guests lately, but for this podcast, I do have a special guest on the line to talk about an upcoming event that we're both very, very excited about. Uh, you may have heard him just a few moments ago, <laughs> talking about a particular dodgy movie, but this time we're talking about a good movie, aren't we, Christian? Oh, fantastic. Yes, it's Christian back again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't get enough of my voice. Yes, we're talking about the iconic, um, infamous, um, I suppose, movie musical, The Blues Brothers from 1980. Now, one of your favourite movies of all time, isn't it, Trevor? I love, love, love this movie. Uh, even though I do feel the director's cut that uh, is largely screened now adds a few things that don't need to be there. It generally is... Uh, is from start to finish a very, very, very great movie to watch. Uh, it's It's got it all. It's got action, it's got music, it's got cameos by some fantastic artists, and I listen to the soundtrack on a very regular basis because it's just that good. And I think that's a lot of the reason why the movie has translated so well, like a movie like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that, you know, it's not just the one element of it that succeeds, it's the music, you know, people can latch onto the music side of things, or, you know, and the, the, whole soul, the, the whole soul sound, and there's also people that just love it for the car chase scenes at the end, and gosh, there's no shortage of those. And, um, yeah, so it's really, I, I've seen so many people, especially from doing the screenings for a couple of years, seeing how it's sort of cross, so cross-generational. And the great thing, you know, minus the fishness of Rocky Horror, you can bring your kids to, to Blues Brothers and still have a ball with it. It's so it's so family-friendly. Whilst it might be quite long for a <laughs> for, for Little is it's still a um you know a very enjoyable movie. So where did it all sort of start for you, Trevor? Yeah. Being a fan. Well, being a fan, uh, I've got to admit, when I first watched this, um, it was off a well-loved VHS where we recorded it off TV. Now, being off TV, now you said it was family friendly, but they do drop a few f bombs in there uh, along the way. Bit of a uh, bit of racy language, I suppose you could say. But the version I originally had that I watched over and over and over again with, with my brother uh, was uh, actually cut <laughs> quite a few bits out. So when I finally got to see the full movie uncut, I had no idea <laughs> about all this stuff that was going on. There was like, um, I think, this wasn't even the theatric, the uh, the director's cut. I saw the, the full theatrical cut first. And mm. it itself was like about 20 minutes longer than the version I was used to. 
<laughs> which uh, which was quite eye opening for the time, and and just made me realise how much better this movie was. And there was no looking back from there. Uh, I'm happy to say I've I've got the soundtrack on vinyl. Like I said, I do spin that quite often. And and with regards to my kids, they'll often ask me to put that record on. Oh, that's a great sign. That's just showing how cross generational it is because the music is so appealing, and and you can find something. You know. So your, your kids will grow up, you know, remembering the Blues Brothers soundtrack, even though w- without having, you know, seen the movie as yet. So I, um, you know, I think that's, you know, its appeal. And there's still people, that, you know, today that are still coming up to me, you know, that have got their, their kids in the, 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 the sunglasses and the black hats that are just as into it as the parents are. So I can easily see why it's a popular film. Um, and, and me coming from a, from an angle of, I suppose, doing screenings and doing interactive movies and things like that, it seemed to me, after doing Rocky Horror for so many years, Blues Brothers just seemed like one of those obvious choices, like Grease, <laughs> to do, uh, to give sort of this interactive experience. And um, do you feel that, that uh, being, doing that, Trevor, has, has that kind of, I don't know, it's, um, it's taken the movie to a whole new level like Rocky Horror did. It definitely has for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to have that involvement and that interaction, um, both with what's happening on the screen and the and the audience watching, it just I, I feel like I'm I'm sh- just sharing this this special experience, and and there's no feeling like it. I mean, I've done live stage shows, I've done the Rocky Horror, I've done Grease. Uh, but I've got to see. I've got to admit that that Blues Brothers, even though there's not quite as much interaction, uh, being that there's quite uh, extended sequences where you you really either don't want to try to reenact what's happening on stage because it's a lot of conversations, or you simply can't because you've got about fifty cop cars piling up <laughs> on the top of the hill. It does that. It has those moments where just. Everybody, you know that everybody in the audience is just tapping their feet, singing along, or even better, getting up and dancing uh, to those iconic songs, and and you're there sharing that with them. It's oh, it's so good. <laughs> And it, and it does have so many of those amazing show-stopping sort of numbers where people are wanting to get it. It's not just Shake It to Hell Feather. You've got Think with Aretha Franklin. You've also, even the, the theme of Old Landmark with um, um, James Brown in, in the church, you know, God, just seeing that in the cinema and, and hearing it in surround sound and just, I don't know, it, it, the cinema feels like it just comes alive when that part comes on. So in many ways it works so well and even in many ways better than the interactive Rocky Horror experience in terms of, you know, it gives you that lull, like you were saying, you know, there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of, um, what are the, um, the musical numbers, whereas Rocky Horror, we perform the entire thing. So Blues Brothers, you know, for those people that don't want that full-on <laughs> assault of the senses and want to be able to experience the movie, you know, a lot too, you know, Blues Brothers is pretty much the, um, the best way of doing it because you get a bit of both and, you know, when those musical numbers come in, you know, the cinema and the performers come to life and it's just, um, yeah, a lot of fun. So as you can probably tell, Christian and I are very, very, very excited, uh, first up, to have this movie exist and, and to be involved in such a way that we can present an interactive dancing experience to go along with it. And if you want to check this out, I believe Christian has some details that you should listen to. Okay, well, whilst it is 
you know, you shouldn't miss an interactive Blues Brothers experience because it's the only way you should see this movie. It's even more incentive and more of a special occasion on the 19th of June because it's a fundraising charity screening for Variety Queensland. Now, we've done some events for them in the past. They're a great group to work with. And um, we're so excited that they're having us up to do the Blues Brothers. So $25 gets you entry into the movie on the big screen with um, about seven performers bringing your favourite scenes to life. So already a fantastic experience. But included in that is also popcorn and a glass of wine. So they're definitely going out for a night out and at the same time you'll be supporting charity. Now, uh, I believe it kicks off at 6.30. I think the screening's at about 7. And um, we still have tickets available for that. You can get them at the door. However, I do recommend pre-book. Now, the link is quite long, but I would just recommend jumping onto Google and typing Morton Bay Blues Brothers, and it's usually the first thing that comes up, and that will have all your booking information on there, or even just call the Redcliffe Cultural Centre, Down Street Redcliffe. So, really excited to be back at the venue again. It's a fantastic venue, and it's it's always good to see Redcliffe coming out for one of our um, interactive screenings. And even better, as I said, helping charity. Indeed, and uh, to help you with that, I will put the uh, the link down in the description below. So, if you uh, if you want to, just click on that one down there, and you can book your tickets super duper easy. Fantastic, and I'm looking forward to bringing some of those scenes from the iconic movie to life alongside Trevor on the 19th of June, <laughs> and, so, and a few other familiar faces and and names you've heard us mention over the over the last year on the podcast. <laughs> Indeed. I, I I want to shake my tail feather now. I don't want to wait. Exactly. You know, I feel like I feel like I'm cracking out a bit of think. Actually, Trevor, you might have to go and give that vinyl a bit of a spin. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And as mentioned, tickets can be purchased also at the door. But I do recommend getting in and pre-booking so we can get you down. And um, and looking forward to um having a great night. Oh, and don't forget to wear your black suits and shades. It's almost almost essential for one of these screenings, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, and uh, yep, definitely hope to see as many people as possible there. Let's let's pack this joint. See you on the nineteenth of June. So many great events for June 2015. One of my favourite movies of all time, The Who's rock opera Tommy, hits the big screen at New Globe Theatre on Thursday the 11th of June for its 40th anniversary. Screened in special surround sound, your senses will never be the same again. Tickets are $15 per person and are available at the door for this from 6.30pm. You don't want to miss this. Heard of Wang Wang? Andrew Levol from Trash Video has been promoting his Search for Wang Wang documentary over the past couple of years. Wang Wang is the three-foot-tall Filipino James Bond and has become something of a cult hero, both in the Philippines and elsewhere. We're screening his infamous 1981 film For Your Height Only. Haha, <laughs> see the Bond reference there. On Thursday, the 18th of June at New Globe Theatre from 6.30pm. Come along, see this movie, and you'll have a ball. Tickets are $10 at the door for this. Friday the 19th of June, the interactive Blues Brothers experience is back at Redcliffe Cultural Centre. Tickets are $25, which gets you entry to the movie, popcorn, and a complimentary glass of wine. See your favourite scenes brought to life by some of my performers, including some familiar names amongst our podcast, Christian and Trevor. Tickets are available at the door, but I definitely recommend getting in early and pre-purchasing. Head to mortonbay.qld.gov.au on... um, 
on Facebook for more information. Tracks 80s Party is back. Our infamous alternate 80s night is Saturday the 20th of June at the new Retros. Now, the old Calibre Lounge in Brunswick Street Mall has become Retros Cocktail Lounge. We're excited to have our first event at Retros with tracks on the 20th of June. Free entry from 7pm playing all your favourite 80s hits until late. For more details about upcoming events, head to christianfletcher.com or hit me up on Christian Fletcher's events page on Facebook. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much for listening to The Rufus Project. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Now, that special announcement. We've already let you know that Redeeming Features is going to be its own podcast, but what does that leave for the rest of the podcast? Well, guess what? We're going to have two fortnightly podcasts running. One week will, of course, be the Redeeming Features... And in the other week, you'll still get your news, views, reviews and interviews in a much more compact Rufus Project podcast. But that's not the only change. We're retiring our Spreadshirt store. And instead, we set up a brand new one at therufusproject.printup.com.au. Yes, a brand new t-shirt store. And it's got more than one design. Head over there, check it out. It's still being built. There is more to come, but you certainly can browse and you can purchase. You can pick the shirts that we've already picked for you, or you can take the designs and put them on the shirt of your choice. Wondrous choice. Check it out. Enjoy. And yes, I would love it if you bought something. That'd be extra cool. The other side of it all is that... In the meantime, we're going to take a little bit of a break before that starts up. Still got a few things to sort out, still got a couple of things to iron out. But trust me, we'll be back before you know it with our brand new style of podcast. I'm so excited about this. It is going to be super duper cool and I'm sure you're all going to love it. If you can't wait that long to get your taste of Christian and myself, well then make sure you get to that Blues Brothers screening at the Reckliff Cultural Centre on June 19th. I'm not going to go through the details again, but seriously, be there is going to be so much fun. For more information on what's happening to the podcast, and particularly some of our earlier episodes, still keep an eye on the Rufus Project on Twitter and on Facebook for all the updates and what's going on. Uh, we'll also be putting up our regular news highlights. So yeah, go to those places, subscribe, and you won't be left out of the loop. And the moral of this podcast is... changes Yeah, we're making a change. changes The Rufus Project is changing! changes changes That was too high for me. I apologise for going too high. In the meantime, of course, thanks for listening and see you next time.
you're still here. Um, yeah, look, I know I normally put like a little stinger or extra bit here, but frankly, with everything else that's going on, I really haven't thought of anything. <sighs> eh. Yeah, nah, nothing. Bye!